Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Tulsa World Opinion section, podcast, and video. So I'm Jenny Graham. I'm the editorials editor. I'm Bob Doucette, editorial writer and columnist. So welcome. Um, we're going to start with a pretty heavy topic. They're all heavy, aren't they, anymore? But um, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But, but this was something we, we talked about last week, which was the homelessness problem. And our our Sunday issue last week, we really sort of addressed directly that we have a growing problem in Tulsa that people don't seem to want to acknowledge. Some of that, I think, is the protection of we don't want to stereotype people. Um, and there's, I think, some territorialness going on with this. But what we're seeing is a group of people who are falling through the gaps of services. And they are, I mean, they're aggressive. They're, they have the kind of mental health problems that they're in their own world, which makes them difficult to treat because they don't feel like they're sick. So right. and that's a different kind of mental health issue when you have someone who knows they're sick and are willing to do what they can to get healthy. So, you know, this has been stepped up and a lot of these people have extensive law enforcement records. And it's not, it's for things like public drunk, for you know, acting out. It's for things that don't keep them in. So what happens is they have, they get arrested, they get referred for treatment, and then they're back on the streets. And so we're just constantly seeing the same people at the same overpasses, underpasses, whatever they are, uh, downtown, you know, outside quick trips. That's another, seems to be a popular place. So, you know, and they're the same people. So we address that directly. And the mayor came out yesterday and what he he has a proposal <clears throat> to take a city ordinance and give police power to basically move them along, which subjects them to arrests and fines and just sort of, you know, using that police power. This has been brought up before. It has yes. been before. It has failed constantly. There are already interactions with police and it's not helping. All it does is pack our jails full of people who are mentally ill and in a crisis. They get fines that they'll never pay off. This, that is not the solution. While I want to like, you know, say this is, you know, what was the mayor thinking? Uh, I, I do applaud him for bringing it up because I'm finding people are not wanting to really address this head on. So right. he isn't bringing it into discussion. He is at least putting something on the table, but this isn't it. This, the, and I'm kind of disappointed that Housing Solutions, which is the city's biggest group that represents mental health and housing partners, wasn't um, consulted. Mm -hmm. And the police chief has been silent. And he's the one that apparently, or the police department, asked for this. And so I don't know why the police won't talk about this. So anyway, you wrote a great column last week about your interactions with a person who is homeless and how you helped mm -hmm. find the, the person's uh, mother. When you read the mayor's suggestion, what what did what went through your mind? You know, a few things. Um, one of the things they were talking about is that you've got people who uh, the services are there for them. That's one of the things that he was saying, um, and that there's really not a good reason for people to be on the street and where they're at. But. <clears throat> We know different. We know different because 
the people that are running the shelters are saying we're almost maxed maxed out. And we know that there is a major housing shortage right now. And when we're talking about people falling through the cracks, I mean, that does definitely include the the real troublemakers, the the people who have a propensity for violence. But anytime you see anybody out there, if they're sleeping under a bridge or they're camping in a park or on the side of the river, they're falling through the cracks too. So what it seems to me is, listen, I, I get it. I understand the the drive to take these people off the street, out of places where people are trying to do their business, out of neighborhoods. I mean, a, a section of my column wasn't just about the the kid, but also a person in our neighborhood who's a, a major problem. He's a safety issue. So I get it. I understand. But it seems like we either go through soft pedaling this thing and doing nothing and it festers, or we just turn it to 11 with police and <clears throat> we're not yeah, finding that middle that, ground here. Right. And, you know, this is a mayor who brought us the sobering center. Yeah. yeah, and that was a progressive idea and it has worked. And that just said people who arrested for public intox instead of taking them to jail, we're going to let them sleep it off. And the next day we're going to see if they want treatment and it's worked well. So I know that that kind of unique thinking can happen. Like what, yeah. we, what we have is not working. It's not working for public safety. It's not working for the people who are it, out there who need help, who are, and I think it's more of a mental health crisis, not so much a crisis criminal action because they a lot of i think there's something there that we're not getting at we gotta lean into it we have to exactly and i i really i mean leaving out housing solutions not the issue now maybe there's some territorialness or political who knows going on between groups and if that's the case then they need to stop it and get together and come here and get to and, and figure this out because What'll end up happening is police have to handle this. And frankly, this is, to me, when we talk about police reforms, this is exactly the kind of thing that people want to take off their plate, that we they shouldn't have to solve homelessness or deal with this. They should have other, they should have other resources and another model so they can focus on preventing crime, getting, getting to big crime. So that way, these people that are on the streets sleeping in the way, there are other resources helping them. And so I don't know the answer. I'm sure you don't know the answer, but I know that we have very smart people in the city who can figure this out. And very smart people who, in this case, seem to have been left out of the discussion. Right. And so, and I do, I would like to know what the police interaction or or input on this is, because that was one that the fact that they wouldn't comment sort of threw me. And the story was written by Kevin Canfield, and he was the one who, and that's where I'm getting the information from. Um, you know, the other thing, uh, Roe versus Wade, the, the potential reversal that's it's going on. And this week I wrote for today, it's the question that, that, that started months ago, which is, can um, tribes on their reservations, on their tribal lands, provide abortion services? That as sovereign nations, they can provide what they want. And so... That was the question. The answer was so much more complicated. Um, really? I mean, it was just, you know, it's, uh, well, you read my story, Bob. Mm-hmm. What did, did something sort of like, 
what did you take away? I'm always kind of interested anyway with what people take away with what we write. So what was your takeaway from that? Well, let's just think about it like this. <clears throat> I don't know if the tribes actually asked to be a part of this fuss. <laughs> no, they didn't ask you for know? McGirt. They didn't ask for this. But what I found interesting, McGirt had really has really nothing to do with this. That yeah. this that when I talked to some of the um, attorneys who specialize in, in Indian law, they said this question has been brought up with in other states, with other tribes. And they said all McGirt did was reaffirm the reservation. But that question has always been out there that the enforcement doesn't change because of McGirt. It's just because I think we're hearing a lot about McGirt. We're thinking, oh, maybe that they this could have happened on tribal lands before. So what are that you, I found interesting. What's interesting too is this is going to create the same firestorm debate within tribal circles that is everywhere else. Right. Whereas before this wasn't the type of thing. I think there was this maybe an automatic or maybe not quite automatic reaction. It's like, well, shoot, we've got a little bit of sovereignty here. We've got our own health services. We can do what we wish. But the tribes they're not going to be monolithic no. pro-choice or pro-life on this subject at all. Mm. So it's exactly like you said, it's going to get complicated again. And yeah. It's, there's already Welcome a member that. of the Cherokee Nation Council that has proposed, I think he's also running for another office in the state of Oklahoma, but already proposing to ban it in the Cherokee Nation. But from outside that, outside if the if the if the tribes don't have any sort of abortion laws in their tribal codes, uh, it is possible. I mean, that's that's yeah. it, it does kick open the door, but there are some sort of the the case law would require who is the is the provider a an an indigenous person? Is it a person of the tribe? on the tribal reservation. Oh my goodness, yeah. Those kind of things, you know, who owns it. Now the Hyde Amendment from 1980, which says you can't use any federal funds to provide abortion services. So the existing Indian health services clinics, they would not be able to provide it because those are federally supported. But some states have gotten around that, that want, you know, with their Medicaid funding that they just sort of separate out that funding from the facility that provides abortion. So, so there was always, you know, a workaround, but yeah. it is now the law that, because, you know, Oklahoma has passed a ton like laws that are redundant and confusing that are just trying to outlaw it all the time. But there is this Texas styled one that moves it into civil court that creates um, this sort of, you know, a system of system of narcs basically that if you think <laughs> someone helps someone get an abortion whether that's providing a phone number a ride funding then you can sue that person for ten thousand dollars and there's no penalty for um frivolous lawsuits so it's it's going to be like the wild west now that one is making its way through the courts and could be overturned there's you know and oklahoma has one of those too the Supreme Court's refused to step in and have a stay. So that could actually be in effect. How that interacts with Indian law gets a lot more complicated, a lot more murky because 
from what I understand, it's very inconsistent on when civil jurisdiction comes into play. So the answer to that question of can, can abortions be provided? Yes, in some cases, but there are a lot of hoops and in some cases, no. So, but again, yeah. it, it, if, the, if the decision is overturned, it's going to, to create a lot of, um, a lot of uncertainty and a lot of, uh, certainly a patchwork. of A lot of debate, a lot of debate. Next one. I know you, I think you read the opinion. The uh, Supreme Court in Oklahoma last week got on the Attorney General John O'Connor for, and I don't want to, what was the exact wording, Bob, that he basically didn't do his job in the rape hike? Or something. <laughs> yeah. You, you explain it. So I'll just kind of paraphrase a little bit here. Uh, hang on one second. I get that cough button going there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Three of the justices were discussing the OG&E rate case that was going back to the severe cold event that we had in February of 2021. So it had been approved by the Corporation Commission, the governor, the legislature, and all that. Uh, the court basically was looking it over, and then they said, one thing we want to point out, we wish the AG would have been more involved. Uh, we wish that the attorney general would have stood up for the ratepayers who are going to end up having to foot this bill for the next 20 years. And he was nowhere to be found in a lot of these stages of negotiation and settlement and, and things like that. I found that the, the wording in that to be pretty direct and pretty harsh. And they got a point, you know, they, uh, the attorney general's job is to be our counsel, the people of the state of Oklahoma. And if you've got the courts saying, um, yeah, the general counsel of the people was AWOL during this really momentous thing, that's going to end up costing us a lot of money for many, many years to come. Whew. Yeah, was, and there were, it was, they three were not of gentle. And from what I did read, it was what caught my attention. They were very specific about what hadn't been done, that certain filings hadn't been done, that certain, right. you know, deadlines. I mean, that's what stood out to me. And then when I think of what the attorney general has gotten involved in, he signed on to pretty much every national federal lawsuit that wants to go after Joe Biden or wants to go yeah. after abortion. Or I think this morning it was to protect Supreme Court justices. Those, I just, you know, it doesn't, that doesn't affect, I mean, I'm more upset that I am going to have to pay more in for this, you know, one time, one storm that we had to pay more money for that maybe it could have been less. Like, I don't know, but that directly affects me. And so that, I found that interesting and I, you know, I haven't heard him say a lot in defense. He said that they didn't know that he was involved with secret meetings that brought down the bill by $10 million, but we're talking 760 million in bonds. So, I mean, it's 10 yeah, million is a lot. A little, but really, say this a little bit, but. But I'm like, that's, but from what the, the court ruling said, from what I, like, I, I've not read the whole, I know you have. I was just struck by the, that's very rare for Supreme Court, our Supreme Court justices to, to do that. 
Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty strong. And the the subtext, the thing that's that's not said basically is what you were referring to. Uh, Mr. O'Connor, he's not alone in this. We've had other attorney generals, uh, attorneys general be like this as well. But all of these little culture war lawsuits, uh, Pruitt was real big on anything that had to do with environment or Obamacare or anything like that. Whatever the issue is now, O'Connor's all over it. But there are these things that are not sexy and that are hard, um, but are important. And it seemed to be a little bit of a message there. It's like, hey, uh, this is more than press releases and camera stand-ups and social media postings. This is a job that needs to get to the heart of protecting the interests of the people of Oklahoma. And sometimes it's not going to win you a bunch of kudos or likes or, or whatever. Um, you work for all of us, not a small constituency. And in this case, the one of the words uh, that they used was that in this case, uh, the attorney general's office failed mm. and failed was a that's a strong word. It really is. That's yeah. a strong word. And that is what they said. Mm -hmm. So I can appreciate the complexity and the urgency of the matter in settling these cases with bond payments and trying to do it before rates would go up. I get that. But if the court is telling you there's meat on the bone and you just kind of left it there, uh, that matters, especially at a time right now where everything costs more. You know, we're already struggling with inflation and fuel prices and everything like that. And to know that maybe with a little bit more diligence, the amount of money that people's bills went up every month could have been less. I don't know how else you turn that. Yeah. Um for this weekend's pages, when we have an op-ed that I wanted to bring attention to, it is, and I normally don't go in for these kind of months or days, but it's Mental Health Awareness Month. And uh, a person I knew who I've known for, gosh, almost 30 years, so she was one of the first PR people I met here. Her name's Beverly Thompson. And she wrote a, a very touching uh, first-person narrative about mental health that she 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 starts out with, I'm the face of mental illness. And she comes from a line of, uh, you know, her mother had severe mental illness and what it was like growing up and her own struggle with depression and anxiety and how that manifested. And she's one that she recognizes she has, you know, brain health challenges and what she does to try to stay on top of that. And, and, and I just thought, I just wanted to bring attention to it because so much of what we're dealing with, I mean, we've, we've talked a lot about this, whether it's through homelessness, uh, education is dealing with a lot of it. I mean, we have, we're, I'm still that youth suicide epidemic, that phrase yeah. that was used by some advocates sticks in my head and, COVID and I'm stress. that play out with, through some friends of my kids. So I just want to bring that attention to that because I think that everyone should pick up a copy and, and, and read it. Hopefully they can find some comfort to know they're not alone. Yeah. And maybe if they don't, you know, have a personal connection at least they can have empathy, but I'm finding mental health challenges are so prevalent in Oklahoma. Almost everyone is affected either directly or indirectly. I mean, it's just, I think people know it's there, but I think we're feeling frustrated and powerless of, of our systems are not addressing it like it should. So, yeah. So, um, 
So this weekend, I wrote about education funding, and it just kind of happened that uh, a couple weeks ago, the NEA sent, had their annual uh, look at teacher compensation, and it was good news there for Oklahoma. And I and, and I always have to stress because people beat up on teachers unions. The NEA has been the authority on teacher compensation comparison state to state for over fifty years. This is not like you know because what what they what they do is they have an apples to apples comparison. They don't add in cost of living, subjective things. They just go raw data and they know exactly how to get it, where to get it. They've got it dialed in. And so it's, a, it's the most accurate comparison out there. And I will also say that the rankings, they because people will argue about, well, it costs more to live in California or New York. So of course they're gonna get paid more. Well, yes, that's expected, but our teachers are not being lured away by tech by California or Maine. They're being lured away by Texas mainly, but also Arkansas, Missouri, Kansas. So I'm looking at the rankings regionally. So, but nationally, we rank 35th in teacher compensation. And that's pay and retirement and health. Teachers get very upset when they see the the the, the number because they're like, wait, that's not my take home. No, yeah. it's not. It's so it's the whole package. <laughs> In the region, which we have like a six-state region of Texas, Colorado, Missouri, Kansas, Arkansas, and us, we're fourth. So we're not at the top of our region. No. We're close. Um, we would have to invest, I th think, $2,000 more in teacher compensation to reach second place. That's only if those states don't put any more in their system, which they right. are. And that's part of the problem is the states around us, because the competition is fierce for trained and experienced educators, we're going to backslide. We're going to be back where we were if we don't yeah. really keep up. And so, you know, our lawmakers that are in a room right now making decisions on the budget, if they keep that in mind. But the bigger one, the uh, the National Center for Education Statistics, it's a government organization uh, that they track, and they are the best at tracking uh, the per pupil expenditure. Yeah. Which is yeah. which is different. And that reflects the environment. That's the resources, yeah. it's the programs kids have, it's you know, how much classrooms. That's actually a, a reflection of environment. Well, we're really you get into the meat of it with that stuff right there. Right. I mean, you want to know, like I just found out today that my kids class uh, school are cutting physics. I'm like, really? what are we doing? Yeah, so it's a whole wow. thing. Uh and all schools are sort of dealing with that because they get their numbers and they're figuring out, well, what can we keep? What can we not? But we're 46th in per pupil expenditure. So we're almost at the bottom of that particular measure. And so, and of course we're at the bottom regionally and teachers look at that. It's not just their pay, it's their environment. And then I, I kind of add in there, it's respect. They're getting yeah. beat up for these cultural issues that have so little effect on their daily, like transgender bathrooms. It's literally never been an issue. Like no, like yeah, not a thing. You know, CRT. Anybody going to CRT one hundred and one in high school? Yeah, right I mean, there's no, no. I mean, I'm wanting physics. <laughs> I was like, we we need advanced, you know, robotics. So, you know, there are some. Anyway, I'm pointing that out. I think people. I want everyone to read it so you know it. So when you start talking about education funding know what you're talking about so look at these reports 
what I would like that. to emphasize that too, because that column in particular, I got a good gander at that one. And <clears throat> I do think people need to read that because when we're actually talking about anything from school board races to state level policymakers, you know, in the legislature, superintendent, governor, those are the things that are being talked about in your column that we need to hear people actually addressing. Because if you're talking about how well your kid's going to do going forward, that has an effect. If you want to talk about, you know, attracting employers for jobs, these numbers in your column are going to have an effect. These are the, this is the real stuff. It's the hard stuff. It's not the easy little culture war sniping at this to get people riled up. And that's kind of what I would like to see a little bit more of when we're talking about education policy right now is actually one, doing things to make things better in the schools and two, just upholding what the state constitution tells us to do. It's not an option to provide public education in Oklahoma. It's in the bedrock of our state law. So we need to actually obey that, not just literally, but in spirit too. I mean, we just need to just stop all the junk Let's take a look at what we're really supposed to be doing and fix that. We do that. We're going to do a whole lot of good in keeping good teachers, attracting good teachers, and most importantly, giving the kids the education that they need right now. All of this other stuff, it's just noise and it's not helpful. Personally, I know I'm kind of going off here, a little tired of it. Yeah, I think everyone is. You know, another thing that came out of the state capitol this week I found really interesting was Lieutenant Governor Matt Pinnell is sort of playing cleanup on this Swadley's barbecue state contract. Those of you who don't know, Swadley's is a restaurant. I think they're being investigated now. Yeah, they're being investigated like two or three people that they had a contract for like $4 million. It ballooned to like 17 million. And they were basically going into state parks. So an out of control contract. But Matt Pinnell is, one of the things he's asked is to revise or amend a bill that passed, I think it was a 2018, that at one point there was a you know, state tourism department commission. I forget the official title, but there was a commission that they were citizens, volunteers that oversaw the activities of the department. And that included approving budgets, approving contracts. I think they hired and fired the executive director. And that's how state government in Oklahoma had worked for decades. Well, the problem was governors coming into office were very frustrated because they because they didn't have control of the agencies because they were all sort of appointed commissions that the governors were frustrated by not having authority to enact their agenda that they were voted into office to do. So editorially, our, we always sort of back the idea of moving some power into the governor to for that executive to be able to implement the vision that they were chosen to do. And so for the past five years, that's what the legislature has done. They've, you know, sort of given authority to the governor to, you know, hire and fire the executives of agencies to over, you know, and that person oversees budgets. Well, what we've seen is like the pendulum swung too far. Yeah. That I, and it took all those commissions and just sort of either downgraded them to advisory roles or like the Department of Human Services, which was changed by both people, just abolished it com completely. And so the theory that this would streamline efficiency, create better transparency, 
did, hasn't panned out. No. And so what Matt Pinnell is wanting or requesting with this is to reinstate the commission's power to approve the budgets and vendor contracts, which to me strikes a pretty good balance because the governor can still hire and fire the executive of the agency, but this commission, it puts more eyes on the money. Because I think anytime you have, especially with complicated budgets like that and a lot of contracts and and, and Swadley's is in a long line now of con state contract debacles. So impossible fraud and all kinds of things. So to me, I thought that that is a pretty good idea that, you know, maybe we, we've got to find maybe some balance there. And I hope the legislature sort of keeps working at it because I think there's a way to give the governor enough authority to enact change, but keep enough people involved in the budget end of things to where we're not, we don't have these. It's like all the time there's some vendor contract that, that was under control. Now you've been, you've been an observer of state government. I mean, what I take out of this, what we've seen from the pandemic center, from the hydroxychloroquine thing, you know, from <clears throat> the education pandemic funds that were going out, the Swadley's deal and on and on and on. All of those things have something in common. And what those are, a lack of adequate oversight. Right. And allow these programs or projects or anything to just go off the rails. I don't know how else to describe that. I mean, some of them, are, and this is rel a relatively new phenomena. And it just, it occurred yeah. to me that this sort of has happened at the same time we've had this power shift. And I, I just, my theory is it's gone too far and we need to sort of maybe put some authority back into the commissions. And we need to get some eyes on this stuff because I think some of the things that we're seeing right now is you say, we're going to do this and it'll be great. And then things aren't quite watched the way they should. And then after that, it's like, oh, wow, that's not going so great. So we've got to make sure that nobody finds out about this. And we'll just keep saying it's going great until you just can't anymore. And the next thing you know, you've dug yourself in the hole of public trust that's really hard to get out of. Right. And I want to give the benefit of the doubt in this situation because, I mean, we're electing people and we're choosing people from different sectors that are not in government. They're trying to step up to levels of ability and, you know, bandwidth and things that they may have never had to do before. And there's going to be some bumps in the road, but we're seeing a pattern here. We need more eyes on these kinds of things to make sure that we don't go spiraling out of control and that we're, we're doing right by the taxpayer, which I think in many instances right now we've seen is not happening. Right. And a lot of these are no bid contracts. And then we find there's a lot of you know, this person knew this person. And so I think if you were to put yeah. it back into the, to the commissions, that conflict of interest issues, those those would diminish. They would go away. Because it just wouldn't, it's not one person making that decision anymore. It's exactly. It's board of, you know, 10 or whatever. So, so kudos to Mr. Pinnell for I know, uh, I mean, I thought that was, that. I mean, that was it a good idea. Of, yeah, and it kind of goes against the, the, the grain a little bit, but I think that that's, I think it would be good governance to start bringing that back a little bit. You know, that also reminds me, and I've got to put the last, another pitch in, this judicial uh, reform that's going through, it is still going through, and it is much more extensive than what we had thought, and it, it's a referendum they want vote, they, meaning some lawmakers, and it's the majority party who would benefit from this, 
uh, put to a vote of the people to completely overhaul the courts. And what it would do is the district judges right now, they just, they don't, it's a nonpartisan election because it's the judiciary. We don't want partisan politics in our judiciary, correct? We want independent. They, they, meaning the, the majority party in the legislature, Republican Party leaders, want the district judges to now run on a party platform that you have to run as a Democrat, Republican, independent, libertarian, whatever. So you're in, they want to inject partisanship into our judiciary. In addition, they want to do away with the Judicial Nominating Commission, which helps choose our top judges, our judges for the appellate, for the Supreme Court and the Court of Civil Appeals. Yeah. And they want it to look like the federal system because that looks like, like that's not a hot mess of a circus going on with our Supreme Court nomination. No kidding. I yeah. mean, we, in, a, in our current, and there's no reason to change it. We don't, there's no, no scandal. There's no, there's no reason given other than they just want change. And they want it to, to mirror the federal system, which by the way, the federal system also has problems getting lower judges in place because of party politics. So yep. this whole thing is about putting power of the judiciary into giving more power to the legislature and the governor and to insert partisan politics, which is so dangerous that I hope people get it. You know, this is that idea of, you know, the pendulum swinging all over the place, but I we've think been we'll probably, for almost 60 years. Yeah, I think we'll probably want to go into deeper reasonings as if this becomes, if it goes on the ballot, then we need to do a good job of explaining why our court systems are the way they are. We used to have a system like they want to do right now. And, it and, it, led and to, we had scandals. It had massive corruption in the judiciary. And once again, you don't want that. So they created a system that looked to me to be a lot more accountable, a lot more independent. And that's what you want. You want judges up there who are not there to carry out whoever appointed them, their agenda. They're looking at the law and they're making their judgments based on that. And I can tell you just from experience and looking back on where all of this started was you get a series of poorly written laws or patently unconstitutional laws get passed by the legislature. The courts keep slapping them down with good reasoning and the politicians don't like it. And that's built up over the years where they've kind of built this critical mass of oh, oh, yes. get the this on the ballot. Court. The, the activist yeah. judges argument, yes. Yeah, and they've they finally got the critical mass to maybe put this thing to a vote of the people, and they're probably going to market it as something that it's not. I'm gonna say it right here. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. The judiciary in the state of Oklahoma is not broken. Leave it alone. Well, stop passing unconstitutional laws. That, that would too. be how not to, to, to have your laws overturned. So, uh, but that, I mean, that sort of, it's not exactly what we we're talking about before, but it just, it's that idea of shifting power. And I think it's a serious matter that we have to really think through. And in yep. some cases, like what Matt Pinnell's talking about, it makes sense in good governance. In other cases, it could be disaster. So, yeah. um, but we're going to change this on a lighter note. Now, I <laughs> like your column. You were, you were sort of, when you talked about your column this week and you're like, well, it's okay. I don't know. But it's the lighter side of Bob. And what you did, and I won't say which, should we? because I don't want to give everything away, but you give right. your ideas of when you have a person who's never come to Tulsa, has no idea, mm -hmm. you 
explain where you take them, which I found interesting because they weren't necessarily what you think of because most people think of like, you know, museums. Yeah. So, the gathering what, place. What, what, what do you want to, what, what do you want to like tease with on where? Well, I, I got visitors come in from out of state and what got me to thinking about this is we had uh, some uh, family and friends come in from Colorado and they went up to do the whole Pahuska pioneer woman thing, but they had a little bit of time to come down here to T-Town and I was like, well, what places can I go to show them that is like unique to Tulsa? They might learn something and see something cool. It's free. It doesn't cost you any money. And so I was thinking about that and, and other instances in the past where I've had buddies come in and, and do stuff. And um, I'm thinking, bang for the buck, learn something neat about the city, see something cool. Um, and depending on what you like to do, uh, you know, a lot of my friends are outdoorsy types or runner types or whatever. So that's kind of in the mix there. Um, short list kind of coincides with the list we made for the PGA, but uh, almost almost nothing in my list crosses past what was on that. So so I had a few things on there. Uh, some of them you could probably guess what they are. Uh, one of them is probably a little eccentric, but you know, that's cool. I like well, it. But I think you're right. It depends on who, what the interest of the person you're, you're showing around. I have a lot of friends who have kids yeah. and gathering place is always there and i'm like it's free if they're little there's tons to do if they're teenagers give them a basketball they'll go down there um you know bring a skateboard so that is always on my list because of that i also like restaurants are big yeah. but and we have a, a ton of great restaurants we really do i always take a at some point to poncho anaya bakery it's the um uh, Solid choice. Kind of mix it. Yeah. So I'm like, this is cool. We always hit like a taco truck. And, a, you know, we try to do stuff like that. I think there are tacos. Now we're talking my life. Exactly. Here. So real tacos, street tacos from the street. So, um, but yeah, but it's just like, it kind of depends. Like I, I have a lot of friends that like the, to walk the arts district now. And, and yep. now we have the Bob Dylan Center opening. That's yep. huge. I've got a lot of friends that are, have already contacted me about that. I'll give away one. I'll give away one, which shouldn't be, it should be a no-brainer, and anyone's read my stuff. One of the things on the list is actually Turkey Mountain. Oh, shocker. That kind of goes with the gathering place idea. That but you know, my some of my friends aren't necessarily Turkey Mountain hiker types, but some are. Like my my husband has a friend that he he does Appalachian Trail type hikes. And so they always do Turkey Mountain when he comes to town. Um, he just, we, my husband took him one time. He's like, okay, we're going to come back and do that. And my kids something, will go out there and. Yeah. Something that didn't make my list, which tends to happen when my friends come and visit from out of town is uh, breweries. Oh, the breweries are good. You know, I have some friends that wanted to see like, like they wanted to see the driller. Like they wanted in, in oh, like the, uh, the, the praying hands. Like they were obsessed with the, I had a couple of friends <laughs> yeah. obsessed with the praying hands. And of yeah. course, you know, you find the backstory. So some of them are just oddball things and you have like the big oh gosh what is this you know the different kind of things like that that make the list so it just and we Blue do kind of lists every once in a while but it's fun we have to sometimes remember and tell you the truth when I have a person that's coming to town never been to Tulsa it's a little like it kind of stresses me out a little bit like how to how where do I start what do I do I mean yeah, you know good. so we sometimes take it for granted but mm -hmm. um, but it got me thinking we got a lot of cool stuff happening so we do 
So um, any last words, Bob Doucette? Well, on the line of that, I always say about getting outside, if you're doing it this weekend, drink lots of water. It's getting hot out there. Yep. We had our um, week of spring. Now we're done. Yeah. So summertime is here. So uh, next week's going to be fun for golf fans. Yeah, it is. PJ's kicking off. Well, they're practicing Monday. Yeah. And I think the tournament actually starts like Thursday or something like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have, like yeah, my my sister's going. She's hosting several friends coming in from New York to. to yeah, so they should they should this. look at my list. <laughs> yeah, one of the things I don't think some people will do just because it's a little strenuous. You, Bob's all into you can walk or hike up to this thing. I'm like, or you can drive. <laughs> so just yeah. keep that in mind. You don't always have to hike up something. Yeah, you don't get the view. You got you got to earn the view, though, man. You got to earn the view. Uh, you can still drive it. So, anyway, thank you for hanging with us and uh, listening to us, and we'll see you all next week. Bye. See you later.